What we've been doing is working through, um, really looking at how the promises that we looked at through Genesis, through, through the first three chapters of the Bible, really find their fulfill, fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So from the time that God made the promise in Genesis 3.15 that he would send one to conquer the serpent or Satan, from that time forward, his faithful people were waiting. They were anticipating. They were looking forward to this first arrival. And, and, and it happened, and there was, there was announcements about it at different points and at different times in redemptive history. But often it revolved around this idea of the seed, this, this, this one who was going to be the offspring, the seed of the woman, and then later it would be the seed of Abraham, and, and the way in which God was working. But at every point, as the work of God progressed through the Old Testament, he was, he was encouraging his people to wait, to wait faithfully, to anticipate the, this one's arrival. And, and when Jesus was born, when, when the, the day came that the virgin gave birth and the angels came into the sky and lit up the sky to their shepherds and began to sing and tell them that Christ the Messiah had been born, the waiting was effectively over. He's here. He's come. And so they looked forward to and waited for that first arrival. Uh, and, and that's what we've really been seeking to remember and emphasize as we continue to wait. So last week, uh, or I'm sorry, let me, let me go back because it, it's important to see the kind of the flow. R- Ricky opens this off and he shows us that the, the light and life that was essentially lost in the fall, the darkness that fell, the, the life that was lost, the death that entered in, was displaced when Jesus comes, the light and life of men, bearing both truth and grace. And he shows us how, how, how John opens that up and connects all the way back to the beginning and shows that Jesus is the fulfillment. Pastor Dave then turns around and demonstrates that, that Jesus is the last Adam, and the death that came through the first Adam is displaced by the, the life that is preserved and, and provided by the first Adam, or, or the last Adam, Jesus Christ. And, and then last week, Pastor Bob takes us to Revelation to show that that the one who God said would, would conquer the demon, that would crush the, or conquer Satan, that would crush the head of the serpent, it is Jesus. And though there is some of that work still to be finished, that we're still anticipating his return and, and waiting like those ones that have gone before us, waiting and anticipating the final consummation, we have every reason to anticipate and, and look forward and wait faithfully because God has been fulfilling his promise through Jesus Christ all the way through history. And this week, as we, as we turn again to see Jesus as the fulfillment of that, we're going to look at the curse, the, the curse against sin, the God's, God's curse against sin that started all the way back in the beginning. We're going to see how Jesus provides us a way to actually come out from under the curse and enjoy God's blessing forever. And the way he does it is becoming a curse for us. He takes it on, and he takes the curse so that we can enjoy the blessing. We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 through 14, to study that and see that broken out in the Scripture. Uh, let's read it, we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll, we'll dive in to see what the Lord has for us in it. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are, are you now being perfected by the flesh? I, it just struck me. I've read this, I don't know how many times, a bunch this week even. Let me ask you only this, and then there's a series of questions. That's such a preacher thing. Let me just ask you one thing. 
Here's a whole list of them. Anyway, sorry. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those that are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified but before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let's pray. Father, pray that you would be with us today. As we, as we seek to look forward to and anticipate the day when Jesus returns, the second advent, to complete the work that he's begun, to, to, to bring it to consummation, to, to establish the, the, the new heavens and the new earth, to, to bring us to be with him. I, I pray, Father, that you would encourage us and enable us to wait faithfully. I, I pray that by the power of your spirit through the, the preaching of your word that you would conform us into the likeness of our Savior, that we would look like Jesus, that, that, we would, that we would live like him, that we would follow his example and, and, and then trust on his work and on his power. I pray that you do that today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We have earned, we have earned, and by our own effort can only earn God's curse. We have earned, and by our own effort can only earn God's curse. But Jesus became a curse for us so that by faith we can receive God's blessing. I think if I were to summarize what Paul is saying in this passage, I think that's the way I would, well, not think, I did, I summarized it that way. Um, so there it is. We have earned, and by our own effort, can only earn God's curse, but Jesus became a curse for us so that by faith we can receive God's blessing. Blessing and curse, it's not a, not a framework that we typically approach the Scripture in, but it is, it is woven throughout all of Scripture from the very beginning. Blessing and curse. And, and actually, whether you think about it or not, they are both the product of our good God. It's not because God is bad that, that curses come, it's because God is good. It's not because God is bad that, or, or good that blessings alone come. Blessing and curse are both the product of his goodness. His, his, his first act towards mankind was to create them and then bless them, right? He, he creates them in his image, and then it says he actually blesses all living creatures, but he blesses mankind in a special way as his image, to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth with his image, and to as his representatives rule and subdue the earth, he provides this blessing, especially upon his people. This is an act of his goodness. But when Adam and Eve d disobey, would God remain good if he just ignored sin and swept it under the rug and pretended it didn't happen? 
No, it's his goodness that demands the curse. It's his goodness that demands he stand in willful, determined opposition against people's sin. We have corrupted and, and, and brought destruction and death into his creation. That was good. It would be wrong of him to look at us and, 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 and just say, oh, well, you know, come on, they, they're... They'll be okay. They'll figure it out. I'm not going to bring it. No, that, 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 if, if you know that someone is guilty and, and ultimately do nothing about it, that says as much about your badness as theirs. It's a product of God's goodness that the curse comes. And, and, and it doesn't just stop with Adam and Eve. The very next chapter, right? So here's something interesting, and I brought this out when I preached on this in Genesis uh, a few weeks ago. Something interesting happens in Genesis 3 when he's pronouncing the curse. He curses the serpent. Because of what you've done, cursed are you, he says to the serpent, above all creatures. And then he turns to Adam and Eve and he pronounces a judgment and he demonstrates consequence that they're going to endure the toil that enters because of their sin. But he doesn't use the word curse. Now, I don't want to draw too much out of that, but I, I think there's something important that we can and our note there is that he doesn't directly curse them in that moment, though they know they are going to die. And what's the curse of, against sin? It is death. They don't immediately feel that physical death. In fact, Adam's going to live like 900 more years or something like that, right? He, he's going to feel the weight of the curse because God curses the ground directly because of him and his sin. Cursed are you, he says, right? So something interesting is taking place there. And I think the, the reality is, is that when God uses them in the, as the head, as the, as the example and the head of all people, the representative, representative of all people, I think what's happening there is he, we, we don't inherit curse from Adam, right? Romans 5 tells us we don't inherit death from Adam, we inherit sin. And by our own sin, we, inherit, we, we earn curse. We die because we're sinners. In Adam, all have sin. Paul tells us that in Romans. So I, I think that's happening there. But, but here's the thing. Here's what's ha- it, it's another interesting piece of the story there. It, that Adam doesn't just get away with it and death is not considered. Death actually does enter the world at that point. But who dies? What dies? An animal. An animal is killed as a result of sin. And, and we begin to see the allusion to or the demonstration of this substitutionary sacrifice, this, this one dying in the place and as a result of the sin of someone Else. And so God kills the animal and clothes them and covers their shame with the animal's skin. Now here's something, if we're not careful, we think, oh, well, God just doesn't curse people. Well, no, he absolutely does. The very next chapter, God curses Abel, or Cain, sorry. He, he curses Cain because he kills Abel. He said, cursed are you from all of creation. So, so, so all, of the, all of the earth. So, so he, he, he brings this heavy, direct consequence to Cain that he didn't state directly to his parents. And so it's, there's an interesting contrast happening there. But that curse then, if you follow Cain's line over and over, you find it, it's a people who appear to be cursed. So in the line of Cain is Lamech, who, who, who celebrates the fact that he murders somebody. And you know what? If, if Cain's punishment is this, then, then let mine be 77 more or something like that. I forget exactly how he says it. You can look it up, Genesis chapter 4, uh, and, and read about it. But then... So, so Abel dies, and as far as we know, there's no offspring. Maybe there was, we just don't hear about it. But there seems to be no offspring, no line from Abel. But then in Genesis chapter 5, 
God gives Adam and Eve another son, and immediately they begin to look at it and think about it in terms of blessing. God has blessed us with another son, brought us another son, and from Seth extends to Noah. And here's this really amazing thing, this, this whole transition that just begins to unfold is this line of Seth is ultimately the line that leads to Jesus. We're going to see that next week. But Seth ends at Noah, and God blesses Noah, right? He brings his curse on all of creation. Everything but the fish die. Everything that doesn't swim in the oceans, in the seas, in the rivers, in the waters, everything else dies. Birds of the air, creatures that walk on the face of the earth, every living person other than those that God put in the ark, Noah's family, and two of each kind of animal, and seven of some of the clean ones, ultimately all die. The curse is brought to bear on these people, except for Noah and his family. He blesses Noah and his family. Be fruitful and multiply. It says very similar things. We're going to study this as we walk through the covenants in a few months. It says very similar things to Noah that he did to Adam and Eve, Noah and his family that he did to Adam and Eve. But, but immediately we begin to see the, the, the effects of sin and curse again, because Noah ends up drunk and naked. There's a tie between the nakedness of Noah and the nakedness of Adam and Eve. And Noah ends up drunk and naked in a tent. And one of his sons goes in and makes fun of him and mocks him in his nakedness. It shames him and brings condemnation. And one of his the oldest sons, Shem, says, hey, that's not to be. So he, him and his younger brother, Japheth, go in and they cover his father's nakedness. And, and, and Noah curses Ham or, and Canaan as Ham's descendants. But he blesses Shem, and he tells to Japheth, he says, through Shem, you are going to find your salvation. You are going to be blessed. And so we begin to get the illusion again of the blessing that God is bringing through some person, through someone. You fast forward to Abraham, and, 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 and this beautiful thing happens with Abraham. He says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. In fact, I, I took the verses. They're not on the screen. Let me just read them to you. Genesis 12, verses 2 through 3. I will make you a great nation, God says to Abraham directly. This is one of his first interactions so far as we know. Genesis chapter 12. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And, and there's going to be no qualification of that. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Whatever God intends to do through Abraham is all about blessing. In fact, I haven't found it yet. It may be there, and I just haven't discovered it yet. But I can't find any place where Abraham was ever given an instruction that says, if you don't do this, I will curse you. Everything to do with Abraham is about blessing. And if you stand against that, if you stand against Abraham, if you stand in the way of that at all, God will curse you. This is going to play out in our text today. Interesting note that when he interacts and begins to, to enter into covenant with Israel, he gives them blessings and curses. There's a distinction between Abraham and Israel. There are two covenants that are related, but there is a distinction to be made. You'll see that play out. But blessings and curses over and over and over. And though that's all ancient history, I know you're like, some of, this, some of you are thinking, ah, I couldn't care less. Why does this matter today? Because we still get what it is to be blessed and to be cursed. We still understand how desperately we want blessing and how desperately we want to avoid cursing 
right? We, we get it. We understand it. We, we get it so much so that we will begin to identify what a blessing is. We'll begin to define for ourselves what a blessing is, even, all, even though the rest of our life is, is, is a mess. We're going to pretend that this one good thing that comes is a blessing. I don't know. You've probably seen it. You've, you've, you, you like, maybe you've heard about it. Maybe you've used it yourself. I, I don't know. Just get on your social media feed at some point. I, I know 99% of you have one. And, and see how many times you can see someone use the, 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 the hashtag blessed, right? And what's it associated with? Every time it happens. I got a new job. I got a new car. I got a new house. I got a new bride. I got a new whatever. This thing that I think is good, I got it. Hashtag blessed. I won MVP in the playoffs, you know, like the, the superstar athletes running around holding up the trophy. Hashtag blessed. I, I, I won. I got invited to a TED Talk. Probably not ever going to happen with me, but I'm not that blessed. Hashtag blessed, right? Look, that person must be blessed. Look at the size of their platform. Look at the opportunity for influence. Look at the ways in which people flock to them. Hashtag blessed. I'm rich. Is <laughs> that a little bolder than we would typically get i'm rich hashtag blessed i'm not poor hashtag blessed i i came across a couple of articles this week as i was thinking about this and 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 was just looking for different ways that people have used that that phrase and i came across several articles that even a fallen world understands and and you can see in the comedy routines of of comics how they mock this and the memes that have been made how they mock this how how uh, uh articles are being written about how silly it is one of the articles I came across this week is why, this is the title of it, why hashtag blessed is the most annoying hashtag on Instagram. And she goes on, the author goes on to show how, how people are pretending to be boasting in this blessing when they're really they just want to boast. They're, they're, they're trying to point and say, hey, I want everybody to see how great I am, but, but I want to do it in a way that's kind of humble bragging, right? Like, uh, the, the other one is uh, by a, a lady who wrote an article for the New York Times. Her article starts this way. Here are a few of the ways that God has touched my social network over the past few months. And then goes on to list all these silly things that people claim as blessings. I don't know that it would ever happen this boldly. I don't know that ever, anybody would ever say it this plainly. But, but I think most, if many if not most, maybe that's a better way to say it. Many, if not most, of these hashtag blessed claims, because maybe you've used it in an honorable way, could be written as, I got my way in what I've determined to be a good thing for me. Hashtag blessed. I got what I wanted, when I wanted it, how I wanted it. The world fell at my feet. Hashtag blessed. Somehow we've reduced God's blessings to, to things that we can earn and things that we Will, will never ultimately satisfy us. I, I, I can't help but wonder if this is the way we're talking about blessings in, a common, in, in, in the modern world. If we followed folks around that use this term enough, if we followed them around and we could hear them confess their so-called blessings didn't really bless them. How many of us got the new job and found out, oh, it's still work in a fallen world? How, how many of us got into the new relationship, got the new spouse and found out that person's a sinner just like me? <laughs> I, won't, I won't say what I just saw, but <laughs> when children are getting it, the message is clear, right? On the other side of this, though, we, we get curses, too. 
we understand the curse. We understand the weight. and the, we, we understand there's something wrong. People running around bemoaning the curse of God against sin, seeking to escape it, avoid it, overcome it. And oftentimes doing it apart from him. How many of us have felt tired in the last two to three years? Exhausted even. Feeling the weight of toil in a fallen world. But we're finding our rest in inactivity, vacations, reduction of responsibility, apathy, instead of the Lord. We face a death all day long. All day we face death and we seek to overcome it. We write laws and legislate ways in which we can keep people from dying. I worked in aviation for about 18 years, and it became so difficult to make an airplane fly to avoid it crashing. Don't get me wrong, crashes are bad. I, I never would vote for a crash. But we've regulated it so tightly to avoid the crash that it becomes more and more cost prohibitive and less and less possible for us to actually run these businesses that fly us from place to place. Because we're trying to avoid death. We're, we're trying to avoid the, even the semblance of death. I'm not saying go throw your car seats out, but I think they're a good thing. I can remember riding around the back of a station wagon being tossed back and forth. It was a metal floor, so it wasn't even like carpet there. So we took a curve, and man, you'd slide from one side to the other, and it was, a big, it was big fun. If they took off and you were at the front of the, of the cargo section, you could slide to the back. Big green, ugly thing. We called it the green machine. I, I, I'm not suggesting that we should not do the best we can to live by wisdom. But we cannot avoid death. Try it. We can't medicate it away. Go to the doctor. Get the medicine, please. We can't overcome it by sheer willpower. Let's fight it. Now, I'm not trying to be rude when I say this, but when a patient gets cancer, it's not their willpower that saves them. The day of our death is known by God, and we will not extend it or shorten it. He is the one that owns blessing and cursing. It's been woven all the way through biblical history. It's not some ancient news. We can't define it apart from him. We can't, we can't, we can't earn it, the blessing or, uh, or avoid the curse. It, this is him doing his work in the world. And this is exactly what's at the heart of this passage that Paul's writing to the Galatians. Now, you probably were thinking more about righteousness through faith and justification by faith and, and law and listening to those words. But look at that passage again. How often does he reference this blessing that we've received, this blessing of Abraham? It's at the heart of it. It's the very foundation of it. It's the curse that, 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 that Jesus came to, to take away. We'd be foolish not to pay attention. In fact, that's exactly where he starts with these Galatians. Now, I don't know. I'm, it'd be, I, think, I think I'd be cautious, a little bit more cautious, to just start a sermon by, You foolish Springfieldians! Right? Automatically, defenses go up. 
you don't want to listen to me anymore. This is a different day. And maybe there, there probably have been times I've started the sermon very similar. But he is hitting on something important that these Galatians need to hear. You want God's blessing? You, you want to remain in God's blessing? Why in the world would you listen to these people? You foolish Galatians. Now, it, it may do to get a little bit of the backstory. It may help you to understand a little bit of what's going on here to, so that you can better understand why he's speaking so directly, so, so boldly towards them. See, Paul plants this church. He's going around preaching the gospel place to place, city to city, and, and, and he's going in and he's seeing churches, believers come together. He's seeing believers be, be, begin to raise up and he, he moves on from city to city. He'll spend a little bit, bit of time in each one, but he continues, continues to move on. And then later he comes back through and he begins to raise up elders and establish leadership within these churches. Well, here he goes into Galatia, he preaches the gospel, he, he, he does a work, he does what God's led him to do, and then he moves on. And after he moves on, the Judaizers come in and follow in behind him, and they begin to teach something in addition to the gospel. Hey, the gospel's good, but if you're really going to be Christian, you also need to be Jewish. And so what they did was the Judaizers would come in and they'd say, okay, well, listen, you got to believe in Jesus, but if you're really going to be Christian, you can't drink, you can't smoke, you can't watch rated R movies. No, wait a minute, that's us. You get the point. We've made a law of our own. You got to vote Republican? Come on, give me your sacred cow. Let me kick it. You see what I'm saying? But these Judaizers are doing exactly that same thing. They might have been, at best case scenario, fundamentalist Christians. But they were coming in and they were saying, look, if you, want to be, if you want to be Christian, you have to be Jewish. And there's a whole way in which to be Jewish. You've got to circumcise yourself and your kids. You can't eat pork. And on Fridays, you only eat fish. Oh, no, that's Roman Catholics. You see what we're doing? We're Judaizing. We're seeking to make Christianity Jewish. We're seeking to abide by a law to attain and remain in God's blessing. Well, that's what they did. They come in and they begin to say, look, if you want to be Christian, you've got to be Jewish. In fact, they would go so far as to say, I think they'd go so far as to say that if you're Jewish, you can enhance your Jewishness by adding Christianity, but you'll never avoid being Jewish. That's why the term is Judaizing. They were Jewishing everything. They were making everything and equating and conflating everything into Jewishness. So, so they come in and they say, we got to add the law. And Paul, livid may be the wrong term, but he's not having it. Oh, you foolish Galatians. Let me just ask you something. <laughs> and then he lists this whole whole list of questions that I think are rhetorical that are meant to drive a point more than seek an answer. It is foolish to believe that Jesus was crucified if we could earn God's blessing. Look at verse 1. Who has bewitched you? Who has convinced you of some lie? Who has, who has hypnotized you? Who has made you believe something as silly as this? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. It is foolish to think that if there is another way to be saved, to another way to enjoy God's blessing, that Jesus would come and be crucified. It's absolutely foolish for us to pretend that Jesus saves us by his crucifixion and, and, and there was another way to do it. When Jesus himself, bowing in the garden of Gethsemane, 
praying and pleading with his father, great sweating as if drops of blood, right? And the prayer in Matthew tells us that he says to his father, if there is another way, if it is possible to do this another way, let this cup pass from me. Not my will, but yours be done. And then what happens? He's arrested, he's falsely condemned, and he's crucified. What was God's will? For him to be crucified. There was no other way. It is foolish to believe that Jesus was crucified if we could earn God's blessing. But further, based on God, God's nature, I mean, think about what it means. If we could, we, we'd have to minimize God's holiness. We'd have to minimize God's glory it, to, to think that we could do something in some way to deserve the blessing of a God as pure and holy as he by our own power. Think of the violence, the the damage we have to do to God's nature to think that Paul was just playing when he said the wages of sin are death. It's foolish to think that Jesus had to die or or that that Jesus' death wasn't absolutely necessary. Someone must pay the debt. Someone must die. And so Jesus did die. It's foolish. Look at verse 2. It's foolish to believe that we can attain God's blessing by the law. It's foolish. Look at it. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? It's foolish to believe that we can attain God's blessing by the law. There's something like 613 to, to, to abide by. If you break just one of them, you've become a law breaker. Even though the law... Uh, even though within the law there are provisions for atonement and sacrifice and forgiveness, the practice of the law couldn't transform a heart. So even the person offering the sacrifice was sinful and had to have his own sins atoned for. The law's limitation was our sinful nature. This is what Paul's addressing when he writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that there's no condemnation, right? The law Uh, The Spirit did what the law was limited in doing because of our sinful flesh. The law had no ability to actually transform our hearts, to actually bring and produce life. It's foolish to believe that we can attain God's blessing by obedience to anything, whether it's the Mosaic law or some, some, some rule that we come up with on our own. What's silly is that we think we can come up with rules on our own that weren't given by God. At least these people were saying, well, look, at least it's biblical. And Paul's saying, absolutely not, it's foolish. How foolish is it then to be fundamentals, fundamentalists, legalists, that just continue to bind people with a weight that they themselves don't even carry, that they're unable to bear themselves. It's foolish to believe that we can attain God's blessing by the law. It's foolish to believe that we can remain in God's blessing by the works of the flesh. It's foolish to think that not only did I enter in by faith, but now I Oh, well, now that I'm in, I gotta keep myself in. I gotta keep myself safe. I gotta keep myself justified. I gotta, I gotta make myself holy now. now. Now, now please hear me and understand this. I'm not suggesting, I am not suggesting that we don't have a responsibility to live obedient to Jesus Christ and his commands. I, I'm not suggesting that there is not a, a law of life that we live by. But if that is not driven by faith, you are no better off than a Pharisee who dies by the law. It's foolish to believe that we can remain in God's blessing by works of the flesh. And he he says it. 
Did you suffer so many things in vain? If it, oh, sorry, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Are you, are you being sanctified? Are you being bought, brought to completion? Absolutely, I'll call you every week to pursue a holy life. I, I, will, I will preach it till the day I die, that, that your, your salvation is by grace, through faith, not works, so that no one can boast. But that comes with it, a responsibility to stand up and live like it, to live a life worthy of the calling that you've been given. So Ephesians 2 gives way to Ephesians 4. I, absolutely, I, I'm, all, I'm all there. And you're responsible to pursue the Spirit, but don't pretend, don't think, don't in any way begin to believe that by your works, you are becoming something. Your salvation, your sanctification, your justification, your, your, your preservation, your, your ending in the end and, and being raised up will all be by the power of God given to you as a result of faith. It is foolish to believe that we can remain in God's blessing by works of the flesh, that we can be completed, that we can end in his glory because we did something. Don't be so foolish. Live by faith. It's foolish to believe we can receive God's blessing by any other means than faith. And that's the point he's driving home. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, you're now being perfected by the faith? Did, did you suffer so many things in vain if it was indeed in vain? I mean, th this running back to the law, this running back to depend upon our own works and our own efforts calls into question if the faith was ever genuine in the beginning. Was it in vain? Time will tell. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture for saying, and he goes on to demonstrate that our life is bought by Jesus Christ and our faith in him. Listen, if, if, if we can't merit God's blessing, if we can't earn it, obey the rules enough to attain it, then faith is the only option. It is foolish to attempt or try anything else. And here's the beauty of what happens here. Faith forces us. Faith, by the very nature of what it is, takes our attention off of ourself and, and, and our hope and our endurance and our strength and our power and it looks to something or someone other than us. Faith is always outward looking. Oh, you can say, oh, I believe in myself. I have faith in myself. Let's see how far that gets you in anything in life. How many times have you fallen short of your own standard? We all do. I do. Maybe I'm alone. There's, there's enough nods in here. I know I'm, I'm not. But maybe somebody's so foolish to think that, oh, I believe in myself. No, 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 no. Faith is all about looking out and depending upon, resting in, trusting something else, someone else, in terms of salvation, that someone, that, 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 that something is the one who'd been promised all the way back in Genesis 3.15. He was promised to Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to bless all families in the nations through you. This is the one, the seed that was coming, the seed that was promised, and Paul's going to make that case as he works through the rest of the letter of Galatians. Now, make this clear, Paul points to three related but distinct covenants. And we've already kind of walked through some of them. I don't have to introduce them all to you. But, but, but he's, he points to three of them, three distinct but related covenants that we're going to study more as, in the year to come. And, and, and did you hear what they were? Abraham, the law, and Jesus. 
Three distinct promises God makes. Three distinct agreements. Related, but distinct agreements that God makes. As he provides a blessing to those who are cursed. First, he points, verses 6 through 9, points to Abraham. Remember Abraham. Think about Abraham. Paul calls our attention to Abraham. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you? Sorry, verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Immediately draws us to pay attention to Abraham. God tells us, around Genesis 15, I can't remember the exact verse, but somewhere at the beginning part of Genesis 15, you can go and read it for yourself. God says to Abraham, or, or God says of Abraham, he believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Scripture says it clearly. Paul builds on it here. He builds on it in Romans chapter 4 uh, a little bit more fully. God believed, or Abraham believed God. He trusted God. So, so he meets Abraham, this, this, this sinful guy raised by pagans. God shows up into his life, not because Abraham deserved it. His name was Abram at the time. But not because he deserves it, but because God chooses him from all the people who are alive on the earth. He shows up and he says, hey, Abram, come on. Come to a land I'm going to show you. Well, man, I got this life I'm building here. I got this little kingdom I long for. I, I don't think I can go do that. That's not at all what Abram did. He got up the next morning and he went. He left all of his life behind there, and he, he goes, trusting God. God tells him, I'm going to make a great nation of you. I'm going to bless all peoples through you. Now, it didn't happen immediately. Abram would have loved if it had happened fast. It doesn't happen immediately. You can follow the story, right? It takes a long time before he gets that promised child. He tries to work it out on his own a little bit. deals with the consequences of that. But God remains faithful to Abraham. Because Abraham's counted, Abraham's counted righteous by his faith. Paul goes so far as to point out that, hey, I'm about to talk. He, he's he's going to talk about the law. He's going to bring out, he's addressing them because of their, their, their beginning to adhere to the law. And he's showing, he, he's showing them, hey, your, your allegiance to Abraham, your, your life in Abraham's blessing has nothing to do with the law. But everything to do with faith. You are Abraham's child, not by the obedience to the law, but by obedience to faith. In fact, he's going to show in the very next passage, he shows in the very next passage that even Abraham didn't have to obey the law. The law came 430 years after Abraham. So why in the world would you turn to something that's less than and different than and distinct from? Remember Abraham's faith. If you want the blessing promised to Abraham, remember his faith and you express that faith in the same one who Abraham was trusting in. You trust him. You place your faith in him. By faith in the one whom Abraham trusted, you become Abraham's son and get to appreciate and enjoy his blessing. Remember the law's demands for life. Verses 10 through 12. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. And Paul's not saying that, that you can't obey the rules and say, hey, I'm going I'm to seek to model my holiness and my lifestyle off of, these, off of these statutes and the law. He's not suggesting that. He's saying if you're going to depend and gain life and think that you're going to enter into blessing uh, by the law, you're under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. So you can't break one of them. Uh, Let's just pick one. Dishonor father and mother. Kids, how many of you have dishonored your father and mother or disobeyed your father and mother? 
Think about it. Uh, here, here's one. Nobody, nobody is exempt from this. You shall have no other gods before you. Mm. <laughs> I had one smart aleck just raise their hand. Uh, we, we've, our, our, Calvin is right when he says that our hearts are idol factories. We are constantly raising up idols to devote ourselves to and live towards. Sometimes they even are noble, and we can dress them up and make them look pretty and, and, and acceptable to every people, to every, everyone else, like our children, our grandchildren, our spouses. Not that we shouldn't love them, but they can be as big an idol as anything else. Our religion can be as, just as a big an idol is anything else in our life. The only thing we can't idolize is the one who's worthy of our devotion. I mean, I guess you can idolize him, but, but that's the right thing. That's not sin. Remember the law's demands for life. If you break one of them, you're a lawbreaker. You're deserving of death. You break one command, even the smallest one, there's no way back. You've earned the curse. You're under a curse. You can't work your way out. You can't earn your way back because you are defiled against a holy God. There is no justification. He goes on to make the point that the law justifies no one. If you're going to look at the law, you can't just look at the law and take it in piecemeal. Well, I like this one. I don't like that one. I don't. You've got to have it all. But there is no life produced by the law. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified. Before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. And there's this ambiguity that happens, in, and it's difficult to know exactly what Paul's intent was. I think it's probably twofold. One, you gain life by these things. You, you are given life through them, but you also apply them in the way you live every day. So, so you have Paul saying, if righteous shall live by faith, that, I think what he's intending to say is that if you're righteous, it's because you have faith in the right one, but then you also live every day by faith. In fact, in the, the working out of the book of Romans, he comes, I think it's Romans 12, maybe 13, uh, he suggests that if you do anything that's not by faith, it is sin. I got up and came to church, not by faith, but because I'm trying to earn God's blessing. That's sin. well, wait a minute, I, I send my kids to Christian school. I homeschool them because I'm scared to death that, that, that the world's going to corrupt them. Your kids are already corrupt, I'm just telling you. Not trying to be rude, it's just true. But you're doing that out of fear and not faith in God that he will use you as an influence in your kids and trusting him. If it's not done in faith, it's sin. We don't just live, gain, re, re, be regenerated, converted. We live every day by faith. But if we're not careful, we make that, this law that now we've got to abide by and there's no grace for. Brothers and sisters, it is foolish to think differently. Paul allows no room to think differently. Remember the demands of the law. If you're going to abide by it, you've got to live by it. You gotta, don't, don't, don't be piecemealing. Don't, don't, don't stake your part of your life on faith and part of your life on law. It's one or the other. There is no gray area. There is no in-between. 
It's one or the other. You will stand before God by faith and, and receive his blessing, or you will stand before him as one who, well, I kind of believed, but I was really trusting myself, and I was hoping I was going to be good enough and make it in, and he's going to say, you are cursed. Depart from me. Remember the law's demands for life. There is no life. There is no blessing, only curses. The law condemns sinners. It proves righteousness is is, is only available by faith. It proves it, that we are guilty. But he doesn't stop there, and this this, this, this is why it's so important. We don't stop where we're at. He then turns to another covenant. Remember Jesus's accomplishments. So when Paul says that, that no one is justified by the law, Jesus didn't have to be justified because he was sinless. He was already sinless, but the law proved it. It, it, it revealed it. Jesus fulfilled the law. He obeyed it without fail. Everything he did to the glory, he did to the glory of his Father. He never worshipped any other God but one. He lived it perfectly. He was tempted in every way that we are. The writer of Hebrews tells us he tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. He went to the grave. He faced death. He took on the cross and its crucifixion and never once, never once did it outside of the the demands of the law. He showed himself. He fulfilled the law. He obeyed it perfectly. He took the curse, even though he he obeyed it perfectly. He voluntarily, voluntarily chose, willingly, willfully, by his own desire, he dies. He became a curse for us. And it's interesting that Paul doesn't have to make this big New Testament argument. He points back to Deuteronomy to demonstrate this. Anyone who is hanged on a tree is cursed. The Old Testament has been pointing us to this as much as the New Testament does. It's been all the way through. God has been building towards this moment where Jesus would come and the curse would be satisfied and a way would be provided that a people could stand before him and receive his blessing instead of his curse. Remember what Jesus did for you. He obeyed perfectly, but he died as a lawbreaker, as a criminal, as an outcast. Isaiah talks about the suffering Savior, the, the, the sacrifice that he was, he, 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 nothing special about him, but we esteemed him not. He was crushed, he was forsaken. And there he was. So that anyone who would trust in him would be removed from the curse and placed under God's blessing. He freed us from the law. In fact, Paul's going to further make that point as, as he continues to work through. He's going to demonstrate that Jesus freed us from the law. He, in fact, he says, don't, don't go back into slavery to the law. For freedom's sake, Jesus set you free. Be free in Christ. Live free by faith, right? He paid our debt. He purchased us out of slavery. He redeemed us, the, he tells us in this passage. Now we don't obey law to to find God's blessing, to abide in God's blessing, to earn God's blessing, to sustain God's blessing. We trust him. We place our faith in him and we live by that faith every day. We are counted 
innocent as a result because of the perfect and sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. (laughs) He did what we couldn't do. And he took a curse so that we could be blessed. We have earned, and by our own effort, can only earn God's curse. But Jesus became a curse for us so that by faith we can receive God's blessing. So Christian, don't be deceived by the influence of the world around you. The shiny treasures that everybody's getting on, uh, I don't know, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I, I don't know. what. Oh, I, gosh, there's probably a ton of them now. I'm out of touch, and it's okay, I don't mind, but these shiny treasures uh, uh, that, that the world is putting out there and saying, look at this, I'm hashtag blessed, don't be deceived. Now, I'm not suggesting that God might bless you in temporal ways, and in, in, in ways that are in time. I'm not suggesting that there may not be some blessing that he brings you in, in that way, but that blessing will never be disconnected from the blessing of eternal life. It will never be disconnected from the blessing of Jesus taking your curse. You want to talk about being blessed? You, in Christ, are blessed. You go out there and tell the world, I'm hashtag blessed, and how do I know it? Because Jesus took my curse. Is that one you, that's probably not a popular one you're going to see. Not a lot of people celebrating it. But it's the one to be celebrated. It's certain. Uh, don't, don't be deceived by the influence of the world around you. you know, not, not only is not everything they're holding out as blessings really blessings. Don't be deceived. You can't, you won't, you aren't good enough and never will be. So don't be so foolish. Don't be deceived. Don't be bewitched to think, well, you know, I, I know I shouldn't do this, but I'll be good over here. God will bless me if I'm good enough. How many, of us, how many of us wallow around feeling guilty about the sins that we commit and think, oh, well, now I've felt guilty enough about it long enough. Now I can go back and be normal, right? Like, you, I, I, I don't know, sin patterns that we have. I, I, I blow up and I get angry and I mope around for a couple days because I know I shouldn't have gotten angry and treated someone by it. After moping around a couple days, though, okay, well, you know, that statute of limitations is over. I'm not saying we shouldn't feel okay about our sin. It's not what I'm suggesting, but it's not the moping. It's not the penance I pay that restores or returns God's blessing. His blessing comes through faith, not my penance. You, you won't. You aren't. You'll never be good enough and ne- to, to earn God's blessing or to maintain God's, sustain God's blessing. It's never going to happen. So quit playing that. Look at Jesus and his cross. He became a curse so that you could be blessed. Trust in it. There's no way. Don't, don't be deceived. Don't, don't, don't fall into this, to this worldly influence. There is no way to escape or overcome God's curse apart from God's blessing that comes to us by faith in Him. You cannot, you cannot not receive His blessing if you are His child. You only are blessed if you are, are His child. It comes only by faith in Him. Only by faith in Jesus Christ is death displaced. The the righteous shall live by faith. Life live by faith. Only by faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit we lost is returned. (laughs) At that very last verse, you look at that, it's just so powerful. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive what? His Spirit. 
Not just around us, but in us and empowering us and transforming us and, and enabling us to live life. He's going to go on to demonstrate a, a life without law, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. This is what the Spirit produces as we walk by the Spirit. We don't need law. We need faith in Jesus Christ and a life of His Spirit transforming and converting and pressing us forward so that we love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, so that those are the marks of our life. Against such things, there is no law. How many of us are always trying to avoid something by these rules? But never pressing in and and leaning into the Spirit by faith so that He produces all the things that are supposed to be there. I want to be a person who loves, so I avoid this stuff. Are you by faith trusting the Spirit so it's produced in you? We receive this blessing only by faith in Jesus Christ. The spirit we lost is returned. Only by faith in Jesus Christ, vain toil. Is vain toil replaced by rest? And faith motivates action, absolutely. But, 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 but that faith that's motivated, motivating action is faith that's true and real in the one who's giving us life. I'll never forget this. This is not in my notes. This is a story I want to share with you. I was sitting, Amy, I was talking to Amy about this this morning. Sitting in, in what is called a motorcycle garage in Senegal. There's really no garage. There's really no building to speak of. It's under a tree and a bunch of oil and grease on the ground and a bunch of milk crates that people are sitting on and dropping their motorcycles off so they could be worked on. They sit on these milk crates. This guy walks up and we begin to tell him about what Jesus has done and who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and and he, continue, he, he contends with us, and he begins to, to push back on us, and he tells us what Islam is all about. And so, so we lay it out, and I, I, I lay for him out the Ten Commandments. And, and, and we didn't go through every one of them. We just recognized that, that if the Ten Commandments are the way in which we gain life, then we have to follow every one of them. And he understood that because he understands the five pillars of Islam. I've got to do these things. And if I do these things well enough, God will accept me. God will receive me. And I looked at him. And I erased them on the, we were, we were marking things on the ground, showing the, the rules that we must live by. And I erased them and I said, what if somebody came and said, it's done. I've obeyed perfectly. If you'll believe in me, I'll give you all my perfect obedience and I'll take all your sinful lawlessness. And he sat there for a second. And he said, it's rest. It's rest. Brother and sister, I'm not, I'm not alleviating you of the responsibility to obey the one who saved you. Don't hear that. But I am alleviating you of the responsibility of the work to earn that salvation. You are as acceptable and holy and righteous and loved and received and have access to God as you could ever have because of Jesus Christ. There's nothing you can do to add to it by any measure of obedience. So obey out of that. Put the deadly doing down and work from rest instead of added toil. Only by faith in Jesus Christ, vain toil is replaced by rest. Brother and sister Christian, do not be (laughs) deceived. Do not be bewitched. Do not be foolish. Everything that you have from God is blessing, even when, brother and sister Christian, even when you face difficulty, you are not suffering the wrath of God, but the discipline of a loving father. You are blessed. 
give me your situation. You, you could speak it now if you wanted to, but talk to me after church. Give me your circumstance. Give me your situation. Tell me how grave it is, how difficult it is, how hard it is. And I will tell you, your father loves you. You are enduring because of faith. What father doesn't discipline his children? You are blessed. But non-Christian, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you the other side of this story. Religious person that's pretended to be Christian that's never been. Non-Christian that comes to church because you're trying to impress people and you know it. Rejector of Jesus Christ that might be listening to this Sunday later on a recording. No matter how many temporary treasures you might amass in life, no matter how pretty a kingdom you can put together on this earth, no matter how hard you try, no matter how much success you gain, even the wealthy die. Even the wealthy will be facing God in judgment. Steve Jobs, I don't know where he stood spiritually. Based on what I know about his life, it sounds like he was not a Christian. I think if he could now, he would warn you. Just like the rich man and Lazarus wanted to warn his family. If they only knew what's waiting for them. If they only knew what it was to carry the full weight of the curse on their own. I think they would do something different. What was Jesus' answer? If they won't believe the law and the prophets pointing to me, pointing to Jesus, if they won't believe those, they won't believe it when a man comes back from the dead. And they didn't. Non-Christian, hear me. The common grace you experience in this world will one day end. And the curse of God will rest on you. But there's a way out. Turn and trust in Jesus alone who took the curse so that we could be blessed. Let's pray.